Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is Monday, October the 18th, 2021, and uh, we are here at Rosa Sharon Baptist. I'm Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm the associate pastor uh, here at Rosa Sharon, and I'm here with the rest of the pastoral staff. As always, we've got uh, Jeremiah Custer, Blake Flincham, and Jeff McCarthy uh, back from his birthday trip. Good to see you back, Jeff. Um, and uh, so uh, we're going to do what we always do here on Monday Main Point. We're going to kind of Take a little bit of a deeper dive into uh, Sunday's message. Um, Sunday's message, uh, I had the privilege of filling in for Jeff on Sunday. And so um, I had um, I, I really took a cue from Chris Alley's message uh, that he preached the, about opening our eyes. And um, towards the end of that message in, in the application, he talked about how the church is this sort of walking miracle and the miracles or, or signs are miracles that need explanation or miracles that have a message that need an explanation and and so he was talking about how we need to be sort of these um as the church we're 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 out there uh, in the same way that the blind men have been healed we're out there as people who have been healed trying to draw people into to the gospel and it got me thinking about a phrase that i've, I've heard a lot um kind of in, in, in ministry. And that's the idea that our job as ministers or our job as Christians is to make the gospel attractive. And, um, and I actually even thought, well, where did that come from? Is that in the Bible? And it turns out there is a verse that talks about adorning the gospel or, or making the gospel attractive. Um, and you'll find that in Titus. I actually didn't mention that yesterday in my message. Um, but then I think people have taken that notion of making the gospel attractive, fellas, and they've 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 read into that, I, or 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 um, maybe not read into is the right word, but they've added to it perhaps, or or expounded on it, or taken it where it. I don't think Paul intended for it to be taken. So then you have this idea of okay, well we have a, an offensive gospel. And in order to make it attractive, should we repackage it? Should we put it into terms that are more palatable for people uh, to, to, to handle as though it's some bitter pill and we need, to, we need to coat it with chocolate or something to make it easier to swallow, right? And so um, is that what it means to make the gospel attractive? Is that even what Paul meant when he said that? Um, and, and should we be about making the gospel attractive? And even if we are making the gospel attractive, what does that look like? These are the questions that I, I, I wanted to wrestle with. And eventually, and I, I, talked to all, I talked to you guys about this last week when I was prepping it. Um, eventually, I landed, I could have went a lot of different directions for a text. But I landed on a text that I'm really glad I did, um, which comes from 1 Corinthians 1 and primarily 18 through 25. And I'm going to just read this, just verse 18. Um, and I'm going to read the, uh, the CSB version of this because I like the wording of, of this first part here. And, and Paul writes and he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. Um, I chose the CSB here over the, even over the HCSB because it uses that phrase, the word of the cross. And um, I really like that and, and uh, kind of, if, if, if you listen to the message, I kind of camped out on that term a lot. But I, I explored what that term meant and, uh, and, and why Paul is even saying this to begin with. So let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about why Paul is, is, is getting into this idea and then we'll get into maybe these other, these other points. Part of it is, and you can just go back one verse and you find out that Paul is, what Paul is basically doing, he's setting up an argument. Um, you've got these Corinthians who are uh, divided over, over different things. They're divided over uh, you know, leaders and who they're following. Well, I'm following this guy and I'm following this guy. And Paul says, you, know, you just need to follow Christ. And he says, I, I, I baptized very few of you. I'm glad I only baptized a handful of you. He said, but Christ didn't send me to baptize but to um, evangelize or to, um, to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. 
Now, yesterday I talked a little bit in brief about what does Paul mean when he says eloquent wisdom? Um, is is he talk? I mean, we could. Is he talking about um, just flowery speech? Is he is he referencing sort of? Is he kind of sidelong referencing someone he's already mentioned there in that list of people that people are following, and that's Apollos. Mm -hmm. But if you know anything about Apollos, you know that Apollos, I mean, is described as somebody who has uh, who is a great orator, right? I mean, he, and so I have to wonder if Paul, when he actually mentions eloquent wisdom, I didn't bring this up yesterday, is actually throwing shade at Apollos here a little bit. Um, that he's saying, I, look, I just came to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom. I'm not some great orator, um, but but he has a reason for why he's doing that, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. I talked a little bit about this. What do you guys think about that phrase? What does he mean when he says the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect? I think that's important, by the way. I think it, I think it sets the tone for the rest of, of, of this text. Yeah, I think um, I think some of that's at play. I think the Apollos thing even is even at play uh, because there's this whole controversy as who who do you follow? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, and you can hear kind of some undertones of I I like the guy who's more uh, down to earth, and I like the guy who's who who's more intelligent and yeah. has better speech or whatever. And I think the problem was. Is that potentially the Corinthian church was maybe trying to recreate Apollos, mm -hmm. which we all do. Like we follow certain preachers or whatever. Right. And then if if I know most of you haven't ever preached a sermon, but the temptation is you want to kind of model your first and first through the tenth sermon or whatever <laughs> on your favorite preacher. You want to try to kind of recreate mm -hmm. what they do and maybe even say some of the same stuff and quote the same person. Right. There's just a temptation to do so. Well, when you take that to sharing the gospel, I think what was happening is, is people had this like emphasis on, and we still do this, so I'm trying to make a point here. They have this emphasis on, I've got I've to dress this thing up and make it sound better than it is or make it sound yeah. eloquent make mm -hmm. it sound flowery uh make it sound attractive yeah. even um and so they're trying to recreate maybe this preacher they heard this itinerant preacher they heard and and paul's like look you don't you don't need to have that education you don't need to have that eloquent speech what you need to know is the gospel like at its core mm -hmm. and actually he's gonna say if you do that you might be taking away the power of the gospel by adding stuff that that is just extra fluff right yeah yeah and, and isn't that the case too I, I i can think of people who uh growing up probably didn't want to pray out loud in, in in services because they just couldn't sound like james earl jones in the parade you know <laughs> there, there were people that like no seriously there were guys yeah, yeah. I, I grew up around people that would be like oh heavenly father we are gathered here today with the and it's like you know, but suddenly, suddenly the guy who sounds like this, you know, is is yeah. is, is, is talking puts like on he's his getting, prayer voice, right? Yeah. He, he's he puts on a prayer voice. He starts talking like he's in you know he's in Shakespeare at the park, and um, uh, but it's it's funny, and then so then people people are like, well, I, I don't have that. I can't talk like that, and um, you know, I, so I don't need to be praying out loud. And I wonder if it's, it's the same thing. I know you're doing, you know, sharing Jesus without freaking out right now, Blake. And I wonder if Jeremiah's onto something there. I can't share the gospel because I don't have these special words. I don't, I, I can't talk like King James. I can't, you know, I can't do that. Um, you know, so do, do, do you think that's the case? I mean, you think that's sometimes a hang up for people? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's this uh, notion that they've got to get, you know, they're the delivery has to be 100% perfect. It has to be uh, buttered up and doctored up and everything like that. But mm. really, uh, I love what you were saying. It's just uh, getting at the core things of the gospel, just knowing like the basic stories of the gospel. You know, we would kind of outline it in, uh, in the creation. Everything was good. Uh, man screwed it up at the fall. Jesus came to rescue us. And if we, you know, make him the Lord of our lives and our Savior, we can be restored back to a good relationship. Right. You know, that's the gospel in, what, eight seconds maybe? Mm -hmm. And 
And, you know, and we, uh, you know, God's made us unique in all of our ways. And, you know, if you're not extroverted, then don't be extroverted. Right. You know, you don't have to be an extrovert to share the gospel mm-hmm. or this wonderful public orator or public speaker. And I think a lot of times people can kind of freak out because that's all they've seen. They've, you know, we think of, you know, when we think of evangelists, we think of Billy Graham. Right. Speaking to 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 people maybe at one time. But, right. But really lifestyle evangelism is just going to be building relationships with the people around you. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're introverted, then be introverted around the people around you, you know, share the gospel with your kids, your family, you know, right. you know take a coworker out to lunch. You know, but if you're extroverted, then be extroverted when sharing the gospel. You know, right. it's just you know, you just have to look at and see how God's made. And really, Jeff, this gets to something that I like that you say a lot, and that's that. So often we take well, when we look at the Bible, we look at the New Testament, and we see these heroes <clears throat> of the gospel, um, and we say, well, they're superhuman. Or we look at someone like a Billy Sunday or a Billy Graham or you know, the, Adrian Rogers, Dave Jeremiah. And we say, well, these guys are superhuman. And, and, and I like what you say. It's the, 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 the gospel or Christianity is, is not about superhumans. It's about humans, right? Yeah. It's, about, it's about average persons being, being just being people, right? right? And I think that's part of the problem that Paul was facing here because, you know, it's a Greek uh, Gentile church in Corinth. Um, there were some Jews there. You know, when he looks at the different people, like one group says, I'm of Cephas, so that probably were like the... The Jewish believers that were like, we're going to follow Peter, uh, Apollos, you know, the great orator. And even some said, I'm of Christ. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to follow Christ. But I think what Paul is looking at is like, because a lot of people would follow a philosopher. Mm-hmm. I mean, the philosophers of this day was like would be like our movie stars or rock stars or athletes. We want to follow people. We want to, we want to, we want to um, you know, hitch our wagon to somebody right. by all their books and all their tapes. And we do the same with preachers and stuff, too. Sure. And so Paul's trying to say is, is that if we're not careful, then, then Jesus no, no longer becomes someone to follow. It becomes this philosophy mm, and this yeah. way of life. And that now, now he's being divided. So I think you see a, a little bit of the um, birthing of denominations kind of here. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what we did later on after the... Protestant yeah. Reformation, we begin to follow men and their teachings, and um, that's that's not what it's about. Because then I'm attracted to this person, or I'm attracted to their teaching, or I'm att- attracted to their speech, mm-hmm. as opposed to being attracted to the gospel, which right. is offensive. So if I kind of if if you're attracted to me, can I win you over to me? Right. Well. Am I ever going to win on over to Jesus? And yeah. that's what Paul's getting at here. It's not about attracting people to us, but but preaching the message. And when people hear it, they're either going to be offended by it, or they're going to be attracted to it, or they're offended, and then they realize it, and all of a sudden now it becomes attracted to them because they understand the story. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's kind of like a catch-22. I like the way that you did this. It's offensive, but it's attractive. Mm-hmm. But then the very offensive nature of it makes it attractive. And yeah. when, once you understand it, then you're out there trying to get people to be attracted to to the gospel. And for us that believe, it does make sense. But if you don't believe, it is foolishness. Right. You have to be honest about that. Yeah. The Bible wouldn't call it foolishness if it wasn't really... I mean, for, to the people that doesn't that don't understand the Bible and don't understand redemption and all this other stuff like the world we live in today the secular people it's foolishness yeah let's talk a little bit about that because <clears throat> uh, uh, you know the first point that i made is that i think the gospel is offensive and the gospel is attractive i think i don't think that's that's um, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that um i don't know maybe some people don't think it's offensive but i, I think that there is offense to it um um, and, the, and like you said the paul says for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing then I, you know, I started off the whole message with those quotes from um, from mm-hmm. some famous atheists yes. like you know Emma Thompson and and uh, Bill Maher I mentioned and, and and Christopher Hitchens and and some others, and and you could hear in their voice um, in in their words, not mine, theirs, um, the sort of vitriol they have towards not just towards Christians but towards the idea of substitutionary atonement at all. I mean, that's one of the things that Christopher Hitchens, that quote from Hitchens really struck me that he, you know, it's not right for you to take on 
what should you you know you can pay my debt you can um, you can do these things out of love but you can't take my sin because that's my responsibility and you shouldn't be able to take it I mean that's the very words he uses Jeremiah um, and so I do think that that at some level we have to admit that the gospel is offensive yeah and I'm gonna get you to if you don't have it pulled up to actually quote that dude the late Christopher Hitchens um, just quoted again and I have a reason for that but uh yeah, I have it right here. Yeah, because most of the time when we think that the gospel is offensive, we actually think most of the time our minds go directly to sin. Mm-hmm. The gospel is offensive because of sin. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense. That's the easiest connection to, yeah, because of our sin, because of sin, and just you calling out sin or, or having anything call sin out. It's offensive because in our culture, you mentioned this, secular humanism, uh, we kind of believe that we're we're good. We're right. better off than we are. We're inherently good, and so to call me sinful and call me a sinner is offensive. Right. But I think the text um, is pretty clear that it's the gospel that's offensive. Sin is secondary, in my opinion, to mm-hmm. to that quote, um, and that just makes sense. We we get that part. But how is it that it, the gospel? Could be offensive. And that's why I like the quote. Like, it was probably my favorite part of the sermon. Because I hear this quote from this atheist who clearly, he clearly doesn't, he doesn't see it as beautiful like I do. Mm -hmm. He sees it as foolish. And he sees it as offensive. He The word he uses is is immoral. Immoral. (laughs) He calls it immoral. And so I'm hearing this quote and I'm like, this dude, he knows the gospel and, and the words that he uses mm-hmm. better than ninety percent of Christians. Yeah, he understands it. I mean, he he, under, uh, he really gets it, and it's like not. Yeah. His quote has really nothing to do with sin. It, no. I mean, it, it has everything to do with like the transactional. Uh, I hate using that word, but the 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 actual thing that happens at at the cross. Yeah. The actual thing that we call the gospel. And yeah. so, uh, just go ahead and read it. Yeah, Hitchin says, Hitchin says uh, to get to the point of the wrongness of Christianity, because I think the teachings of Christianity are immoral, the central one is the most immoral of all, and that's the one of vicarious redemption. You can throw your sins onto somebody else. And I skipped ahead a little bit in this quote, but he says, I can pay your debt if I love you. I can serve your term in prison if I love you very much. I can volunteer to do that. I can't take your sins away because I can't abolish your responsibility. And here's the important part. I shouldn't offer to do so. Your responsibility has to stay with you. There's no vicarious redemption. And I'll stop there. But he says, he says, it's very probably, in fact, there's no redemption at all. It's just a part of wish thinking. And I don't think wish thinking is good for people either. Such a cynical way to look at that. It is. But what's interesting <laughs> to me is. And, and, for, and, for me, it illustrates the point yes, perfectly. Because I hear that. And I'm like, yeah. And I love it, like yeah. <laughs> right. That's why it's beautiful. Like, what great love is that, right? Mm-hmm. But but for somebody, and, and you know, and you've heard me talk about my my friend in college before. I've mentioned it here on the podcast. But my friend in college had a similar view of this, and maybe he wasn't offended by it. But he said, "I know that I'm not good. I try to be good. I feel like every time I try to be good, I fail at being good." And I'm like, well, that's because you can't. You can't be good. That's why you need Jesus. And and he said, no, I should be able to fix this on my own. I don't. I shouldn't have to rely on somebody else to fix it for me. And I think that there are people who feel that way. And it, this is very much that. And so it's offensive to them. But you're right. See, this is it, what's what's offensive to them is beautiful to you, beautiful to me, um, because we recognize um, that. You know, again, and and I did a little bit with wordplay there, and what what is you know the offense of the gospel is that we are sinners, we are helpless, we need a savior. That's the offense part that that we can't do it on our own, and that we're in and that we're not good. Nobody likes that, right? But the beautiful thing is that we were sinners, we were helpless, and God did something yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, if He can accept the fact that that. Perhaps there is a God then that wants to show his love so much that he'd be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the next, I mean, that's, I, don't, I can't, I can't, I don't know what's happened in his life and everything all about him, but obviously something has happened in his life where he can't, 
this thing is a stumbling block for him that he can't get past this whole right. notion that someone can love you that much, even though you don't deserve it, yeah. and even though you know uh, the responsibility can't you know it's my responsibility. It's like I know it's your responsibility, it, but I'm going to take care of that for you. It's just like um, yeah, it's hard to grasp, you know. Yeah, yeah. and you. You said he's an atheist, and he said this was immoral. Well, he was. He was. Oh, he's, he, he's he's passed away okay. now. Yeah. Ironically, he he is also the one who said something. I found another quote by him, where he said, um, "If I ever um, if I ever became a uh, the only reason for me to become a convert is so that one more so that there'd be one less believer. Basically, the only reason I'd become a convert." Uh, is so that it, I'm misquoting him there, but to, para- to paraphrase what he was saying is, I would become a convert so that when I die, there's one less believer. I mean, it's that kind. Of, he's that. He was that anti. And so the answer yeah. to him basically is, you tell the gospel story over and over and over. I mean, right. that's all you can do until hopefully it would finally sink in and they go. And think about it not with just your head, but think with your heart. Right. And you've mentioned, you know, you've mentioned um, uh, Penn from yeah. Penn and Teller mm-hmm. and how Penn has said before, look, if this is, if you really believe this and you believe it to be true, you should tell me about yeah. this. Even though I may yell at you and, right. you know, brush you off or don't believe you or make fun of you, if it's really true, tell me. Right. You would hate me if you didn't. So yeah. Obviously, yeah. this guy's had enough study, dis- debates, and discussions. He, he knows he knows the gospel, like Jeremiah was saying. Yeah. He just can't get past that next step to it. What do you think about that quote from Tim Keller that I used? If Christianity is really true, then it will be offending or correcting you somewhere. Isn't there, There's something to that, isn't there? That, that seemed to have bite to me, that, that if it's true, then it's going to offend you or it's going to correct you somewhere. Mm-hmm. If it's not really true, then it won't. You know, you'll be able to live your life the way you want to live it, and 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 you won't be offended by it. But if it's true, if it's really true, then it's going to offend or correct you somewhere. So if you feel offended by Christianity, or you feel like Christianity is trying to correct your path, then that's simply because it really is the truth. Mm. Because know? if it's not the truth, who cares what what these people are there believe? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think the gospel, you know, it can be offensive in like certain contexts too because, you know, let's say, you know, you're in rural south somewhere and you have these Christians who believe that the city of God that Jesus is talking about was America, mm-hmm. you know, and a biblical preacher like, I don't know, one of us comes along and says, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Right. They're probably going to be offended at first. Yeah. Because they've they're either going to think we're lying or they've been lied to and they don't like that. Mm-hmm. Now, will they always be mad? Maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, I, a lot of times it depends on like contextual things on if it's offen- when it's on when it's offensive. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more too because this get, this bleeds into the second point. And, and the second point that I was making is, okay, how do we make, this is really the central question I had to begin with, was how do we make the offensive attractive? Um, do we make the offensive attractive? You know, and 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 uh, we've kind of touched on this already. I mean, the gospel isn't merely offensive, but it's not always attractive to people either. So, what do we need to do to make the gospel attractive? And I think um, uh, I, I went through. We don't have to do that today, um, but I went through the entirety of the rest of this text pretty much to show two main application points that we can kind of discuss. And I mean, if you want to go back and hit some of the things I mentioned <coughs> from from the text, we can. But I'm assuming most people heard the message in, yesterday, and so we won't go over that. I really want to get to the point, to the two points that, that I think Paul eventually lands at, right? He, he goes through this argument about, about man's wisdom basically being inferior to God's wisdom, that, that anything that that um, that the reason why it's foolish is to, to people is because they're using their wisdom instead of God's wisdom and I, I talked a lot about how God's wisdom is the, the wisdom that we, we we hear from the word of the cross right um, it's it's not the word that man speaks but it's the word that the cross is speaking and and I don't mean that the cross literally speaks obviously I'm talking about when we look upon the cross when we look upon the gospel, what is it that that act proclaims? Because that's what matters. That's what is both offensive and it's also what's attractive. But 
I think one of the bottom lines that Paul gets to at, at by the end by the time we get to verse twenty three at least is that man's wisdom and works add nothing to the word of the cross. Um, and so the point for the point that I kind of pulled out was, and and I use the 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 um, the narrative you know that Paul retells in Galatians where you, you know if you're familiar with that uh, you've got these. Uh, Judaizers who show up and 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 they're uh, people who people who have been acting like Jews have been eating with the Gentiles the Gentile Christians as though they were brothers and sisters in Christ. Suddenly, when these Judaizers show up, they stop doing that and they only eat with Jewish people. And Paul is so offended by that because he sees it as telegraphing something that is absolutely not the case. He sees it as telegraphing to these new Gentile, these fragile new Gentile believers, your justification isn't complete, mm -hmm. that you're missing something, that there's something else that you need in addition to the gospel you received. And Paul will end up saying, look, if there's something else that we need in addition to the gospel we received, then Christ died for nothing. I mean, that's, that's essentially what he says there in Galatians 2, Jeremiah. I know you really like that passage a lot too. And so that brought me to the fact that making the gospel attractive then, if anything, it, 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 it can't be about adding to it. Because adding to the gospel only hides its attractiveness, right? And then I gave like some concrete examples of this or tried to, that if we make it all about do's and don'ts, then we're hiding its attractiveness. If we make it all about living a certain lifestyle or following a particular political party or political individual, we hide its attractiveness. If we make it all about dressing a certain way or listening to a particular type of music or we tie it together with our own patriotic pride somehow, and I've heard you talk about that before at length, Jeremiah, we hide its attractiveness. Basically, anything we add to the word of the cross only is going to serve to hide the attractiveness of what Christ has done. You know, so thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if you, if, I mean, I can't say it any much better than what you just said or what you said yesterday, but... I think for just trying to come down to the practical, like uh, if if you make the entire gospel about your pet issue, like mm -hmm. even even if that pet issue is something that is important, mm. like maybe it's gender issues or maybe it's racial reconciliation or or if you make the gospel about that and not what it actually is, right? Uh, because the the gospel does influence those things, but it, that's not the gospel. Mm. Right. And so it's it's just kind of the same as adding on to like you've got to be on my side of this argument before you can be a believer mm -hmm. or I mean, my side of this political scheme. Isn't or, that sort of what Paul was fighting against with Peter? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the same sort of thing. Um, yeah. It feels like people. So I do get. OK. So let's talk about this a little bit. Is it wrong to package the gospel in different ways so that it's more palatable. I, 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 the illustration I used at the beginning of the podcast is taking the bitter pill and coating it in chocolate so it goes down a little bit easier. Um, because I think that there are churches that do this. And I'm not talking about just prosperity gospel. I mean, we could absolutely hammer that for, for that because they've got, the whole, they've got the wrong gospel to begin with. That's right. But I think there are... There are Seeker-sensitive churches, I mean, and that's the word that was used uh, when those churches first came on, on the scene, that said, we've got to be careful how we present this, Jeff. And I know you know, I'm, like, you know, I'm thinking about like the Bill Hybels of the world and um, um, what's, what's the church that he started um, that was so big? Uh, it was still big, but... <laughs> Will, Willow, Willow Creek. Willow Creek. Yeah. And didn't he later come out and say something to the effect of, we, we did this wrong? I, I, I want to think he recanted from that position. I'm not really sure about all that. Uh, but what happens with... Uh, I, I mean, Jesus said it the best when he talked to Nicodemus. He said, you know, he, he compared himself to the snake on a pole in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. And he said, if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. So it's not us or marketing or our rewording and all that, that that draws people to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's us just saying, look what Jesus did for you. 
you know, that's the attractiveness, but it's also the thing that repulses people. Yeah. Um, and so our job is to present the gospel as clearly and plainly as we can. And sometimes, yes, we have to use different language and all in order to make connections with different people that we're dealing with. Um, because as, as, as we know, as time changes, uh, um, words can change and lose sure. their meaning or you've got to explain things that they're listening and they're taking like like the sports teams use redemption a lot mm-hmm. you know like like Carolina they lost that one year the next year was called the redemption year because right. they won it all well that's not what redemption is you know redemption right. is not I'm going to go back and win now because I got beat last year right. redemption is someone pays a price uh for you, for, it's it's a it's a buying the back of a slave, basically, mm-hmm. is what Jesus like. You were a slave to sin. Now you've been redeemed. I have bought and paid for your price. So, I think we have to be careful that we make the gospel plain, but we're always pointing people to Christ. And then it's up to the Holy Spirit and them how they receive or reject that message, mm-hmm. because most people are going to reject it more than more times than not. Um, I think I read somewhere like somebody has to, has to hear the gospel like about 27 times yeah, I mean, before they, it starts yeah. making sense where they can even think about it mm-hmm. in terms of like making a decision. Which was and most of us in our evangelism, we think you present the gospel one time and that's it and they didn't accept it. So it's over with. Right. No, we keep we keep presenting the gospel. Right. Which is why it's important, you know, to, to get to kids as early as we, you know, yes. to, to, to teach children. It's not that we're trying to brainwash them, but we just know it takes so many presentations before it's going to sink in. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm going to, I'm going to toss to you here because you're doing that share Jesus without freaking out. And, and is there, is there something, is there anything wrong with polishing up the offensive, you know, or, or, you know, there's a reason why the illustration I chose this week was, was that, that, yeah. that, you know, gleaming silver cross necklace, you know, yeah. it's, it's taking an instrument of torture and, and, and turning it into something pretty. Um, do we need to do that with the gospel? Do we need to take it and repackage it? And if we do repackage it, is is that wrong? Yeah. I mean, or is there a way to do it where it's not wrong? Maybe that's a better way. Well, to say. I'll answer it like this. You know, the gospel is offensive, but that doesn't mean you have to be. Yeah. You know, the yeah. gospel is offensive, but that doesn't mean you have to be. Now, let me flesh that out. You know, let me elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, I think back to 2011, 2012, when the whole idea of gay marriage becoming legalized mm-hmm. uh, started to come out. And I think of Westboro Baptist. Right. And I can't remember where. I think it was out west somewhere maybe. but They've been all over the place. Yeah. And so Westboro Baptist comes and they. it's almost like they're happy that lesbians and gays and all these people are going to hell mm-hmm. is the message they give off. Right. And they're holding up signs, you know, like saying like God hates gay people. And I'm saying that nicely right. for the podcast. Um, like God hates gay people, you're going to burn in hell, this and that. That is not the way to share the gospel. Right. Now, is God against homosexuality 100%? But it's not just, he's not just against homosexuality, he's against all sin. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't go and uh, nitpick a sin and tell all these people they're going to hell, but, you know, you have, you know, constant gossips in your church that you don't even right. stand up and talk about that. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, there's a way to come across, you know, you know, and you know, scripture should be gentle around non-believers. So be gentle about it, you know, you know, be a very, you know, resemble Christ well, be a good ambassador for Christ, but um, you you can't change the story. You don't change the content of the story. You can sometimes change how you say it mm-hmm. on the context, but I'm not saying like you know, polish it or anything. Right, right. But why you know, but I'm not gonna share the gospel with an adult the same way I'm necessarily gonna share with a four year old kid. Right. You know. But it's the same gospel you're sharing. It's the same gospel, it's just how I'm doing it. Yeah, it's just how I'm doing it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no it does. Jeremiah, what do you think? I mean, do you think it's okay to uh, repackage it? Should we repackage it? Should we I mean should we package it at all? <laughs> I mean, it, it seems that we have to deliver it somehow. I think of I think of um, um, David Platt uh, when he talks about preachers uh, uh, making a sermon 
they often think of it as cooking a meal, right? He said, but the meal's already been cooked. All your job is to do is put it on a plate. And I, I guess you don't want to serve it on a garbage lid, right? <laughs> but you have to serve it up somehow, but your job is just to put it on a plate. Yeah, so if there was one, one way that you had to do it, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be in Scripture? That's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Like, wouldn't, what, like, this is, this is, I guess, like, kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Like, this is how you do it. Uh, like, like, wouldn't he have taught that way if, right. if there was one way to teach the gospel? But for me, I think that there's two, there's two mistakes we make. The first one is kind of the secret sensitive mistake, and that is to not make it offensive, we, we drop the sin part out of it. Right. And we'll get to that in a second, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the other point. Yeah. So we 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 take away what we think is the offensive part, which is the sinful part, and honestly, that's not the offensive part. I, I tried to make that point earlier. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Right. And if you take away the problem, the solution, the cross, loses its effect. Right. Because yes. yeah, there's no problem. That's a good way of putting yeah, it. I right. like that. Which okay. is what I was saying. That it loses so that's its effectiveness. yeah. That's one. That's that's leaning too far one way, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the other way where you add things to it, mm-hmm. where you add rules, regulations. You've got to be white or whatever. You've got to be not gay before you can accept this gospel. So mm-hmm. you're adding to it. Well, then the next very next question is, then why does Jesus die at all? If mm-hmm. I could just do it this way, if I could just have my rules. Add the right ingredients. Right. Yeah, add the right ingredients. And that's Paul's argument in Galatians 2.21. It says, if righteousness could be obtained by action, then why did Christ die at all? Right. And so both ways, whether you subtract the parts we think are offensive out of it, it loses its power. Mm-hmm. And when you add things to it, it loses its power. Right. So that's your kind of your conclusion of, like, why? Why try, why, why try to make it anything but what it is? Because if you do, it, it loses its effect. Yeah. There's no point for Jesus to even die at all. There's no point to even share that message because that's not what saves you anyways. Yeah. And going back to your uh, previous uh, thing, when it comes to, you know, like the how to do it, I think there's a it, there's not necessarily a right way in every single. Uh, there's not this one like a one size fits. So I think really when it comes to relationship building, like um, let's say uh, like Jeremiah, you're not a Christian and your dad just died. I'm not going to go debate apologetics with Jeremiah right then and there. Yeah. You know, Yeah. I'm going to say, you know what, hey man, I'm just going to lead it, just show him that I care about him and say, hey man, do you, you know, do you mind if I pray for you? I'm a Christian myself. Uh, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and I love to pray for people. Can I just pray for you? Mm-hmm. And that way you can start building that relationship. Then eventually, you know, later on down the road, if he has questions, sure, have that conversation. But, right. But, you know, but now if, you know, you're getting to talk with a atheist who wants to debate, you obviously get to the heart of the issue, find out when they became an atheist, and if, like, a bad thing happened in their life, get to the root of the issue. But if they want to debate information, then sometimes that might be the right context to debate information if you can do it in a way that yeah. can... Um, you can be a good ambassador for Christ. Well, notice I didn't say argue with them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference in arguing and debate. But you know, just giving their asking them questions, getting into their worldview, right. and helping them see what your worldview right. is as well. Yeah, and 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 I uh, I, I like what you said a minute ago, Jeremiah, um, with with the idea that the if you think of it in terms of a mathematical equation. If you have a solution but you don't have a problem, then you don't really have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the solution only makes sense when you look at the problem, and and that, that's a really good way of putting it. And that's the that's sort of the point that I had in the sec in the second half of this, which was making the gospel attractive isn't about hiding its offense. Mm. Its attractiveness only makes sense when we consider its offense. Yeah. And and you know so that means. We are tempted at times when we when we think about repackaging. We are tempted at times to hide the offensive parts of the gospel, Jeff, because we don't want to offend people. And so instead of preaching sin or instead of preaching helplessness or instead of preaching about a savior, churches or, or people can get caught up on the idea that we just need to preach the love of God, right? Or, or um, when, you know, we... 
preaching mercy without justice. Yeah, or preaching justice without mercy. Or or when and and I don't mean I don't mean to to say this in a negative way because again I think it's important doing things for others who are in need, mm-hmm. doing good deeds for someone you know that 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 is uh, that needs that needs help at the moment. Those are good things. But if you think that that is presenting the gospel, it's just not. Right. And, and in fact, if you just stop there and you never give them the fact that, okay, well, you have this need. Um, and I'm not, saying our, I'm not saying disaster relief does this at all, but I, I, I served on a disaster relief team one time. And uh, I saw a lot of people who were doing good things, cooking meals, helping people out, doing things like that. But when it came to actually talking to these people about the gospel and about their other need, they didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm like, well, what you're doing is a good thing, but if you don't do it in the context of why we are actually here, which is to talk to people about how much Jesus loves them in this moment where they've lost everything, then we've missed the point. We what, what are we doing? We're, we're we're doing we're doing the work of American Red Cross. Okay, that's great, right? But if you don't go and actually talk to these people about the gospel, then you're you're hiding its offense, mm-hmm. and and you're you're hiding what makes it attractive to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that 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 the, the disaster relief people are doing a great work. I mean, they're doing a fantastic thing. But if you if you miss that point. Same thing with inviting people to church. It's a good thing to invite them to church. But if if they never hear though about yeah. how that, that you know they're incapable of doing good on your own and, and how your own good deeds can't earn us favor, then you've hidden the attractiveness of the gospel. It's un, it may be unfortunate to you and to I to think it this way, but it just seems to be the case that if we're really gonna have real conversations with people that matter, Jeff. It's going to sometimes be offensive. It has to be. Yeah, and when you think about it, um, I've heard, you know, testimonies of people, you know, people getting ordained as deacons or maybe someone doing a testimony at a youth rally or somebody doing a testimony at church or or you're talking to someone. A lot of people, I mean, you, you'd be surprised how many people, like, grew up in a church and then maybe they went and visited another church mm-hmm. and they say, I heard the gospel for the first time. Yeah, and yeah. They, but they might have been in another church for like their whole life, mm-hmm. baptized everything, catechized, um, you know, com- confirmed, right? Or as as Baptists, maybe they got they went forward as a kid and they got baptized and joined the church. But then they hear the gospel. They finally hear the gospel for the first time, and they go, "Wow, yeah." So, so do we cover it up and hide it? And yeah, we're guilty of it. Even we're guilty of it at times. Oh yeah. If we don't, if we're not super clear about what you just said, that, that this is it. This is the way, the truth, the life. There's no plan B. There's no other, other, another option. There's no, uh, I can do this and then add this to it and get, 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 um, you know, a better deal out of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's. Jesus did that for us, and if you accept that and believe it in your heart and you give your life to him, you, then he says, you're one of mine. And once you that happens, then you finally realize, wow, this the gospel is great. But before that time, you're just hearing it and you're living your life and you're living, maybe you thought you were a Christian and all that other stuff, you were a church member and all that, but you really weren't. Yeah. That's why we preach the gospel every week, even to church people that's been here their whole life, because we don't know who's really uh, engaged their heart and life with Christ and who has it. Right. And that's our job is to tell to tell the story, and then once the acceptance or the uh, rejection comes, we understand and know they're not rejecting us; they're rejecting Christ, and that that gives us then the the right then to continue being a friend with them. Which is what we really want to do. Yeah. So often people will present the gospel. The person rejects it. And they go, "Well, I'm t- I'm offended now because you rejected the gospel and you're rejecting me. So I'm not going to have anything else to do with you." And that's mm. the worst thing to do. Yeah. And we just have to understand and know, lift Christ up. People will be attracted to Him, and they're either going to 
they have two choices accept it or reject it but that's that's not our doing after that right we just need to continue to preach continue to minister continue to do those things uh, and I always keep preaching the gospel over and over and our witness is going to be really I'm glad you mentioned that our witness is going to be really important in making it attractive to people too because a lot of times um, you know I think of what uh, Chris Alley said, and I've mentioned this in a sermon before, but the Rosaria Butterfield mm-hmm. story. Right. I mean, if uh, I think the guy's name was Ken, mm-hmm. who in uh, who invited her over, to her. like if he sends her a message and says, "Hey, you know, um, here's the gospel. You're going to hell. This or that. What you know, you think the typical Christian would do to atheist mm-hmm. lesbian professor in New York." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there would have been no shot. You know, she wouldn't have come to the gospel. You right. Know, she wouldn't have even considered it. But his lifestyle, you know, she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Right. And what she's saying is that, you know, their welcomeness or their hospitality, that's a better word, their hospitality and just their Christian lifestyle, like they, their actions, you know, spoke the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they shared. But uh, because their actions shared they were able to share with words right why they live the way that they do and it was attractive to her right and i think i think what you just mentioned there is important so this got to my i won't call my concluding statement it was it was my sort of conclusion that i drew for christians anyway uh, for the christian to ponder and that's that so when we act and speak as though we were not sinners we were not helpless, and when we neglect to mention the gift of God that we've received, right? Mm. We we are essentially replacing the attractiveness of the gospel, and we add to its offense. And I, and, and, and I think that's really important. And you talked about earlier, the gospel is offensive on its own. It doesn't need you adding to it. Right. And the reason yeah. why you end up adding to it is, is because you forget your own standing. I think a lot of times um, we forget that we were sinners, we were helpless, we needed a savior, and we got that. And we, we, we begin to live these lives as though, and I said this yesterday, we live these lives as though we've always had it together, mm-hmm. um, that we have it together now, that we've always had it together, and why can't all the other people out there in the world get it together too, right? And, and when we do that, we are not only hiding the attractiveness of the gospel, but we're adding to the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're making it to where fewer and fewer people are actually ever going to be attracted to the gospel, Jeremiah. Yeah. So, like, for me, the first, when I went before this message, uh, you know, when I thought of how, how do you make the gospel attractive, mm-hmm. I would have always answered that question with my own personal holiness. Because mm-hmm. that's what's kind of being taught, right? The, the, the better person you are, the more effective you are at, at leading others to Jesus, right. right? And so then it becomes about, I've got, I've got to be polished. I've got, I've got to make sure that I don't have any sin in my life or at least any external sins that people can see. And I've got to make sure that, that no one hears me cuss or no one sees me get angry, right? And that's how we make it attractive, uh, but I think I think that ignores the fact that I was a sinner. Mm-hmm. I, I were a sinner, uh, or I I right. was an alien, right? I right. was a foreigner, um, and so you can you can still relate and, and and share the gospel from that place, even if even if you still have external sins that people can see, like. They need to know that I'm not trusting in the fact that I am a good person. I'm trusting in the cross. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And uh, I think this is really relevant to people who grew up in church because I remember having to be convinced I was a sinner mm-hmm. because I, I grew up in church. Uh, I was self-righteous. I was a good kid um, mm-hmm. just because I guess I got beat enough or I'm also an introvert. So... Uh, if you know much about introverts, they tend to be quieter, and uh, quieter people just kind of get ignored. Uh, they still sin, but it's not vocal. Like you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, they don't get themselves into trouble with their mouth a lot of the time. So I was considered a good kid, and I was always told I was a good kid, and I always had the right answers. And so I get up into my teen years, and I 
I, I begin having to be taught that I'm a sinner. Like I had to learn that I was a sinner and what that actually meant because I was a Christian from the time I mm. like I knew the gospel. I knew I knew John three sixteen before I knew probably the ABCs. Like, right. And so I had to be convinced I was a sinner. Right. And so I think there's a lot of people maybe still in that spot. You've got to be convinced you're a sinner. I remember the first time in college, someone called me a Pharisee, and I was furious because yeah. I knew the Pharisees were the enemies of God. Yeah. But I, I remember going home that night and being like, dude, am I a Pharisee? Like, what does that mean? And why did he say that to me? Right. And it's because... A lot of times Christians, especially those who grew up in church, they just get self-righteous because they're in comparison to the world, in comparison to others, they begin playing the compare game. They look better than the world. Right. But and then they, they have a need for the gospel. Right, dude. And then they and then they project that self-righteousness or that, that expectation of self-righteousness onto other people. And 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 it's it's funny, we expect we expect mm. people who aren't yet Christians to act as though they're Christians. And it's that expectation that I think people look at and go, well, if it takes being perfect, then I'm never going to be there. Mm-hmm. And so what you've done then is you've just hidden the attractiveness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You've just made and you've added to its offense. You've made it to where people don't want to come there because they don't feel like they can ever obtain what you are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and so we do that. We do that on multiple levels. I mean, sometimes it's as bad. It's as, you know, it's. Maybe it's it is as 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 blatant as as acting like a Pharisee, right? Just like really being self righteous. Well, sometimes I think because we we don't mean to do it, but we do tie our Christianity to other parts of our identity, mm-hmm. and we make that seem as though it's integral to being a Christian. Mm-hmm. So from the outside looking in. People are like, well, if that's if that's part of what it is to be a Christian, I don't really want that because that's not who I am. And we, when we've added to it, and, and again, hidden its attractiveness, added to its offense. I think about um, I think about uh, missionaries, well-meaning missionaries, early on who would go into these these countries and think that the way to win them to Christ was first to Westernize them, Jeff. That they had to be westernized first. We had to get rid. We have got to get rid of all these tribal, these tribal attributes, these primitive ideas, these primitive ways of living, and we need to bring in good, solid white Protestant teachers to put them in real classrooms to teach them discipline, so that they can become Christians. Mm-hmm. And that was so topsy turvy from the way that it should have been done. And. I think that there are still people today in those countries who resent Christianity because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, what they did was they brought in a culture in addition to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to help them not be offended, could you get the chief, could you get all the women to wear clothes? You know, <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And, then, um, and I think about here in America, you know, uh, we want to be the moral majority, and we want to legislate. Mm-hmm. If we can just get people elected, then we can legislate behavior. Then everybody can then see that we need to be Christians because everybody's living a, living good now, and they're yeah. not they're not doing all these bad things. Yeah. So it's it's never meant to be legislated or anything like that. It's a, a Christianity and the gospel is a one on one verbal exchange of an idea. Which is actual fact mm-hmm. that God loves us and sent His Son to die for us. Yeah, and if we believe that and put our trust in that, um, He's promised us, you know, abundant life here and, and eternal life. It's it's no, I mean, that's the basic truth, and everything else is just gets us all. We get uptight about all this other stuff, and yeah. that's the, you got to just keep coming back to the basics. And you know, for me, I mean, I heard the gospel growing up. Um, grew up in a more legalistic type church. Um, it was all about long hair, the clothes you wear, and you know we get this person cleaned up, then we can get them saved, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And so I knew all the right things to say, and I knew you know, but but outside of church, I started once I, once I got older, I was living you know two lives, and 
you know, the gospel really didn't mean anything to me. It was about rules, regulations, and mm-hmm. going to church and checking off the checklist and all that other stuff. Right. It wasn't until I realized that, you know, Jesus really did die for me on a cross for me and how how that made me feel that I was so um, saddened by that, that I was throwing my life away when he did all that for me. Yeah. I needed to come back to him. Yeah. You know, that, and so... It was, it was about coming to Christ, not coming to a religion or a way of life or a philosophy or a, te- a teacher or a church or a denomination. Yeah. It was about coming to Jesus. And then then you live your life after that. How am I going to live out this life? And where am I going to go to get teaching and right. growth and all that? Right. I think we, we, got it, we mix it all up together that... Uh, the gospel can get lost so many times. Yeah, I, I like that, and I, and I, I was thinking, you know, if, if if I asked, you know, if I asked all three of you, I know you've all kind of hinted at it already, but if I asked all three of you, what is it that 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 eventually kind of won you over, right? That that made you say, I need to surrender my life to Christ. I think all all well, well, I'll just along myself in there too. I think all four of us at the end of the day would say it was nothing more than the word of the cross. It was the word spoke. It was the word of the cross that 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 did it. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't because it was packaged with some other philosophy. It wasn't because somebody hid its offense. But it was. It was the fact that I recognized, like you did, that I am such a wretched person, and Jesus loved me enough to die for me. That I want to give my life to Him fully. I just want to trust Him and surrender my life to Him. That's what did it, and and and, and you know, for for almost, I won't say all Christians, but for for the Christian, that should be your testimony, yeah, right? Yeah. It should be the word of the cross. If it's if it's more than the word of the cross that saved you, then go back and look at the look and see what gospel you're trusting in. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not telling you to question your salvation necessarily, but look at what gospel you're trusting in, because. Um, if it's because my grandma, you know, I I, <laughs> I remember hearing a guy. Um, uh, I read an interview of a guy who who was in a Christian band. Um, they were sort of fringe Christian band, and uh, they asked him about. They were asking him a question about his testimony, and he basically said the reason why he became a Christian was because he wanted to see his 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 mother again. His mother had died, and he wanted to see his mom again. That was it. There's nothing about nothing about the gospel, nothing about being won over by Jesus, none of that. It was all about what I can get from this. And I remember just being so disappointed in reading that response. I don't think there's something, I don't think there's anything wrong with that being a part of it, maybe. Right. But um, and maybe the motivation that brings you to Jesus. But if you're trusting just in, you know. Your ability to go to heaven, your your ability to see your mom again. If that's what you're trusting in, you're trusting in all the wrong things. Um, you need to just simply trust in the word of the cross that we receive. Um, all right, well, th- this is, uh, uh, we're right at 58 minutes here, so we'll stop. Um, good good discussion today, fellas. Thanks for, thanks for all your insights. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, next week, um, we're not quite to the grace message yet, but I know you're preaching this week, Jeff. So. Yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, Isaiah 58, 12, about being a repair of the breach, a restorer of the mm. of the streets to dwell in. Okay. The way the King James, New King James uh, describes the people when they come back to rebuild. So oh, okay. It's, okay. it's kind of like piggybacking on our homecoming thing, mm-hmm. kind of thinking about uh, our church, where we're at, um, the repair we need to make, the restoring we need to make, both spiritually, physically, things like that. Yeah. Kind of thinking about that that pocket of lostness out there right. that needs to hear this gospel that we just talked about. Yeah. Um, that, for, for the most part, are just um, tuned out to it. Yeah. Um, so and then how can we begin to start thinking about being the church that can reach them. So yeah, no. Look, and at the tell at the we're, I mean, we're, I was going to say at the tell end of COVID, we're still in the midst of COVID. This is a good time to reflect on restoration. So uh, I like that. All right, we'll talk more about that next week. Then thanks for joining us for this one, and uh, we'll hope uh, hope that you tune in for the next one. Uh, for now, so long.